Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my special guest is Adam Shupak. Adam is a senior writer with GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sport. And in the podcast you're about to hear, we discuss Martin Laird's win at the Shriners Hospital for Children Open at TPC Summerlin on Sunday in a three-man playoff with Austin Cook and Matthew Wolf. And we also talk pretty deeply about Matthew Wolf's future and how we think there are big, big things in store for Mr. Matthew Wolf. Then we get into a little bit of the pillow fight between Bryson DeChambeau and Matthew Fitzpatrick over the comments Fitzpatrick made while playing in the UK about DeChambeau making, in his words, a mockery of the sport of golf. And finally, we take a look going ahead at the CJ Cup, which is going to be played at Shadow Creek this week in Las Vegas, where most of the golf's golf world's top players, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, all the big boys are going to be coming out to play as well as Brooks Kepka, And we talk a little bit about what we're hoping to see this week from Brooks Kepka. So stick around. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. And now I'd like to welcome back triumphantly once again to the 4Press Podcast, my good friend and esteemed colleague, um... Adam Shupak, who is down in Florida, where they're still playing golf in warm weather, probably playing in shorts this last weekend. Shoop, did you get out there in shorts? Nice, nice short sleeves, the whole bit. Oh yeah, it's still it's still uh, felt like ninety degree humidity out there yesterday. It's like we're complaining that this is October and it should it sh- we should be past this already. But I think the good times are are ahead for us. It's almost uh, getting back to the seventies soon. It's full on autumnal golf up here in the Northeast. I'm in Connecticut. We're getting the remnants of uh, Delta sort of coming through here, and hopefully everybody that's down in Louisiana and the southern part of the United States and other areas where we're actually much more greatly affected by this storm than, than we are, uh, are all doing well and able to pick up and recover well. But it's uh, the foliage, such as it is, is is coming down quick at this point. Uh, I think today we're only going to get up to about 60 degrees. It's blustery. It's raw. Um, it's upstate New York kind of weather. It's like St. Lawrence Colgate hockey weather is what it, this, it, it sort of reminds yeah, me of. Yeah, sounds good to me. It does. You know what? Let's drop the puck. If we could do sports, you know, at the Division three level and the uh, Division one level for hockey and all that kind of stuff. Huge weekend for sports. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the golf here in a second. Did you catch any of the NBA finals? Did you? Catch, I mean, we have a new NBA champion. It's October. It feels weird, but we've got we've – got, I know. Um, but boring game. I, I was – Game kinda, five. Game five was really good, though. Game Jimmy five Butler was, was really amazing. Good. Yeah. But, there was too much going on last night to 
watch game six for me. It was just an incredible, it's a credible sports time right now with, with the way hockey and basketball were finishing up baseballs in their playoffs and, uh, and then football's in full swing and, and the, and the fall golf has been really good. It has been really good. You know what? I, uh, I caught a little bit of the Laker game and it was a blowout pretty much from halfway through the first quarter. So that was easy to get away from. Um, the baseball is going, I'm, I'm sort of, unfortunately the Cubs having quickly exited after deciding that they forgot how to hit a baseball. Um, they've been out of it. So I haven't really been paying quite as much attention, but as you say, the golf has been good. The boys are out in Vegas and TPC Summerlin, once again, kind of giving it up, you know, it's not exactly a track that demands. It seems a whole lot from guys. It can be very tricky. And we saw some excellent up and downs. Martin Laird is your winner um, at the Shriners Hospital for Children open at TPC Summerlin just outside of Las Vegas. Um, exciting finish. You get a three-man playoff with Martin Laird, Austin Cook, and Matthew Wolf. They're 23 under par 261. Um, some drama. What, what, what are your initial impressions coming out of that one? When, when you turned off the set and saw that Martin Laird was finally hoisting the hardware after three playoff holes, what would you think? Well, I, I didn't think he was going to win because he was really leaking oil. The three three putt for par on on sixteen when he probably could have wrapped up the tournament, then uh, hit one of the worst tee shots at the par three seventeenth. That uh, you know, Brandel Chambly had a great comment after he said that they should they should make a plaque where he hit the shot, but no <laughs> yeah. one will ever see it because it was so far right after his tee shot blocked it right and it hit the cart path and and just an incredible up and down. And then he goes and and bogeys eighteen. To, to fall into the playoff, and, and I thought he was the had the least chance of the three to win. Uh, the big pressure thing I took away, I mean, it, it is hard to win on the PGA Tour. It's really hard when you haven't won in seven years and when you're into your fo- early 40s and, you know, there are all these young guys that are, are bombing a pa- starting to bomb a passion. Because Martin Laird was always one of the you know one of the longer hitters, and and uh, you know now he's playing against Matthew Wolf, and and I think Matthew Wolf. My big takeaway is this guy is legit. Um, you know he was sort of uh, not not forgotten, but of the three heralded uh, you know newcomers yeah. last yep. year, even though he got the win before Hovland, I feel like more people were on the Victor Hovland and uh, Colin Morikawa bandwagon, and. And Wolf is just going out there and showing that he's legit. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, he's he's slowly learning how to win. He's he's got the one W last year in dramatic fashion, and then he's had a couple situations where, you know, there were great learning experiences at both Rocket Mortgage and you know being in the being you know having a, a low score in the final round on Sunday at the PGA, and then what he did at the U.S. Open and, and end up get right back into contention this week in his first tournament after uh, the U.S. Open defeat, uh, you know, in the final round, kind of not not really quite having his best stuff after after shooting that 65 on Saturday. I, I, I'm just really impressed with the kid. I think once he learns a little bit more how to win, I mean, he's going to take off just like like it took a little while for Justin Thomas mm-hmm. to figure out how to win. And, and then, and, you know, now he's got 13 Ws in a major. So I, I, I think – um, Matthew Wolf is really uh, a guy we got to be keeping our eye on. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that uh, early in his career, people forget that Rory McIlroy was known as a guy who had trouble closing. And, and he has gone through streaks where he, is, he has put himself in contention and doesn't win. Earlier in the year, he was consistently in the top five and didn't get maybe quite as many wins as, as people would have thought he should have. Um, but, but the steadiness of play was, was really, really impressive. I don't know. Like I, I agree with 100% of what you're saying. I, and, and Matthew Wolf is fully on my radar. I was 
at the Travelers Championship when he and Justin Sung and Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland were sort of brought up by the, the PGA Tour marketing gurus and they were, you know, here here's the next wave. And Justin Sung, I believe, is playing on the Latin American tours or bouncing back and forth there, playing a little bit. And, and, and I think will eventually come up. It's very, very early in that young man's career. We've seen that Colin Morikawa wins at um, TPC Harding Park. So he's now got multiple wins. He's got a major. Victor Hovland, having been low amateur, w- winning a USAM, being the low am at a Masters, low am at a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, which was really nice, and then him winning, um, he seemed like he was just the guy. He had that streak of whatever it was, number of rounds playing and, and, and shooting rounds in the 60s at the end of last season, which was really, really impressive. And then and then here's Matthew Wolf. And, and what I was torn with a little bit, Shoop, is that um, I'm holding him to an unfair standard and I will raise my hand and admit that when I was watching the playoff and, and here he is shooting, you know, an absolutely lights out round on Sunday to get himself in there when maybe, you know, he didn't, he, it was, he was playing with house money in that case to use the Vegas parlances because he had started well back and Martin Laird, to be honest with you, opened the door for those guys by the way that he played 17 and 18. Um, I thought if, if, if Matthew Wolf is this real stud, he steals this tournament. He comes out there. He doesn't even look at the guys. He he's going to stuff a couple of shots, and he's just going to figure out a way to steal one. And over the course of their great careers, guys like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and VJ Singh, I know has done it. Some other the, the big time players figure out a way every once in a while to win when they probably shouldn't have. And this was a golden opportunity early in his career at age twenty one for Matthew Wolf to steal one, and he didn't do it. And part of me unfairly and i'm i'm admitting to this flaw unfairly was like oh he should have won he had no business winning <laughs> you know looking back on it with a little <laughs> bit of time he had absolutely no business winning this golf tournament and yet here i am holding him to this because i walked with him saturday at winged foot and watch him shoot a front 930 and i'm like this guy is going to dominate you know he he took a very difficult golf course on saturday uh playing late and played great and then I see him doing this stuff, and that and that's the standard. It's not necessarily fair because other guys are going to play really well, and they're going to do some good things too. Um, I and I also think that Martin Laird was the guy that I would have picked to miss a putt short to knock himself out of that playoff once he was in it. But a lot of guts from Martin Laird to hit that shot. And as they were showing on the broadcast, I was not there. Obviously, I'm I'm still here in the Northeast. Um, for him to hit a cut off the tee on that par three took, uh, took some pajones because you don't want to be left looking at that. And he put it right where he needed to made a big putt. Um, it is another example, isn't it? Shoop of the depth of, and the quality Martin Laird needed a, a, a basically a sponsor's exemption just yeah, to get into the yeah. field. There's so many guys aren't there that, that are capable on any given week of, of winning a tournament. For sure. For sure. And, and, uh, yeah, I think I do think, we hold these guys, you know, Tiger Woods sets such a high bar. We expect these younger guys to, to be just like him. And, and they're, it's just, you know, it's just not realistic. And, uh, I, I think, you know, this is another, I, I would have liked, it would have been great if he won it, but I think just the fact that he showed that he can get into a playoff when, you know, his first two rounds playing, you know, paired with Bryson the first two days, he, he really didn't do a whole lot and then goes really low on Saturday. Um, Three eagles, uh, almost four eagles on the, on his second nine on Saturday yeah. to uh, you know get to get into into striking range. He was just lurking there, 
and then, you know, did what he, what he could and got himself into a playoff. Um, I, I think that's a, in, in a lot of ways, a, a step forward. And, you know, I think the guy could be, could be a tough, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's, if he's in the hunt at, at Augusta and nobody wins at Augusta their first time, but mm. you know, this guy's just, you know, there's something about his mindset. He's got a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about he's just his comfort level already at such a young age being out there. It, it's it's not it's a different version of of Jordan Spieth, but I, there's something I really like about how he well, seems to be comfortable in these big moments. Yeah, I, he he played obviously at a big time program at Oklahoma State. He was the NCAA Division One you know individual champion. He's playing alongside Hovland. He's played you know, practice rounds and different rounds with all kinds of PGA Tour players. You forget that he also was in that tailor-made drive for um, the Cure uh, charity event that, yeah, yeah. that was played at Seminole. And and it's like, okay, well, he was, I think he would admit, was the fourth wheel. But there he is with Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson um, and and Rory McIlroy. Rory. And and he's he's the, one of the guys. I mean, he held his own. And that event meant nothing, but in some ways it meant everything. I mean, here he is as a PGA Tour. He hasn't even completed his first full season on the tour. He's on a made-for-TV special event at one of the premier private clubs, great venerable golf courses in the United States with major championship guys and Ricky Fowler, who is arguably like one of the most marketed, highly touted, highly respected, most well-loved players out there. Wolf's holding his own. I mean, what kind of confidence you know, a young player can get out of that is, I, I think is, is tremendous. Um, he was talking. Talking smack, he was talking smack oh, yeah. to, uh, to which, Rory, which, was, which shows fantastic. to your to to your the, his comfort level out there in those kind of situations means that when he's playing in a week to week PGA Tour event, he should feel really good and at ease about himself. Let me ask you this: um, uh, Well, yeah, sure. Colin Morikawa has got the one major. Um, Wolf has got almost a major. I mean, he he did tremendously well at Winged Foot. Um, Victor Hovland, very steady. Lot to like about that. Let's go out five years from right now. Let's say that it's we're, we're getting ready for the 25-26 PGA Tour season. Which one of those guys has more majors? Which one of those guys has more PGA Tour wins? Let me put that one to you. I still think, uh, as much as I've been singing the praises of Wolf, I think Morikawa just has a in, in a in a very just a bit more of a complete game, and I really like. I just like the way he carries himself. And just his, he's just cool and comfortable. He's that cool and cu- cool, cool as mm-hmm. the other side, cool as a cucumber guy out there <laughs> on the golf course. Um, he's got all the shots. I, I really like, I like his mindset too. Um, you know, his caddy was telling me that when he when he uh, when he got his card, uh, he had he had to finish like T six, I think, at the John Deere Classic, and you know he did it, and his caddy was like. We did like sell, kind of celebrating it, and Colin was like not really all that excited about. It. He's like, "You you knew you were going to do this, didn't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I knew I knew it, I knew it." And he's just, I, I like that about the the kid. He's just he's just very comfortable going about his business, not not intimidated. Knows he's, you know, if not the best, that his best is is as good as everybody's. Yep. And um, I, I think. I think he's just got a little bit of an edge maybe with mentally and just, he's just a little more mature than uh, those other two guys. Hovland's still got to work on his, on his chipping. 
Um, but he's going to, you know, they're all three are going to do some really, yeah. <laughs> some really ex- impressive things. And you must mentioned Justin Suss, the fourth guy in that press conference you attended. And he, he got a top 10 at, uh, in, in Vegas on Sunday. So he'll get into, uh, another PGA tour event and, you know, I just need some opportunities yeah. and, and we'll start hearing about him too. He's going to get his card before long. And, you yep. know, some guys, it takes a little bit longer and, and, uh, you know, every opportunity is, is, you know, you mentioned what, what, uh, Martin Lair did is, is so impressive when, when a guy gets into a tournament and then wins it. But, you know, it's also huge for, for Justin saw, he's just wants to make sure he gets himself into the corn Ferry finals at the very least, or, yeah. you know, if he keeps doing this, he might be able to get special temporary membership. Another guy with a top 10, uh, Will Zalatoris, another top 10 and will we'll get another chance. And, and he's getting close to that special temporary membership and, and he's playing some, some really good golf right now, maybe, you know, and, and he's showing he belongs and, and there's just so many good, good young players right now. There are. And you mentioned a couple of things in there that, that are kind of important that a lot of people may not 100% realize is that for guys who are right on the fringe and really just sort of battling to find their way out there, um, a T9 or a solo seven or something like that is more than just a check. Yes, the money is really nice, and that helps you know with with, their, with with everything that they're trying to do. It's the playing opportunities. It's the opportunities to get themselves into the next week event. I believe it's if you top ten, shoop, is it? Then you automatically get into the next PGA Tour event. You don't have to necessarily burn a sponsor's exemption of what you get a limited number of every year to get in. And so all of a sudden you start to build a little bit momentum if a player like Justin saw or some of these other guys, if Martin Laird, for example, um, had not won, but had finished, you know, tied for second, that means he doesn't need a sponsor's exemption to get into the next event. He's automatically in that field. And that's how all of a sudden a hot month of playing for a guy who's got one foot in and one foot out the door on the PGA tour, it can make an enormous difference. That can be a career altering run. Um, because of those things. It's just a matter of, of getting the first opportunity and then making the most of it. But speaking of Laird, to me, would you also agree that a win for Laird is, I think, so much more meaningful than the win would have been for Wolf and probably also for Austin Cook as well, in that at Laird's age, there there aren't that many. Like th- This comeback is is pretty remarkable in some ways in that he was ready and was really training super hard in Colorado and getting ready to come back when the PGA Tour was going to return in June. He blows out his knee. Um, he ends up having to have meniscus surgery right when the tour was getting back. Started at Colonial, which feels like you know decades ago, but but it was only yeah. about four or five months ago at this point. He has to get that repaired. At, at this point in his career, for him to get a win and to know that his tour card is set um, for the next couple of years that he's going to have playing opportunities. He's in the field at some more elite events. He's in the field at the masters, not the one that's going to be taking place in a month, but the one that'll be taking place, you know, in six months. That's a huge thing. And while I was sitting there wanting and expecting Matthew Wolf to win at the same time for Martin Laird, would you agree that this is, this is a lot more meaningful for him than it would have been for Wolf or for cook? Yeah, I think, I think after having, the the injury he had to start wondering what his shelf life on the PGA tour might be looking like because yeah. it's been it's been seven years since he's won he's you know been a guy who's had enough good finishes to keep to keep his card and stuff but um you know he's not getting any younger he's he you know and, and it's he hadn't really had a, a good last couple of years even so 
this was, you know, and when you're injured and you're sitting on a couch and you're wondering, am I going to be able to get back? I think this, uh, you know, a lot of hard work has paid off for him. Um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, I think it's, you know, slightly different than Stuart Sink winning. And now he can kind of ride out his time until the senior tour mm-hmm. Blair's still got a while, but yeah, to get those extra two years of knowing you're, you're, you're going to be out there. I think that's got to be a, a nice weight off his back. Yeah, I think it is. And um, I've had a chance to speak with him over the years on several different occasions. I remember he was, you know, one of the lead guys at a tailor-made event that I went to at Royal Sinkports. We were, I think it was, what, what, like 2011, I think, for the British Open when we were at Royal St. George, where we should have been in July. And we'll look forward to going there uh, next summer. And there was an event, and they they brought Justin Rose was there, and um, Dustin Johnson was there, and at the time, um, you know, Martin Laird is is a big time player, and he's he's there as well, and and we're chatting, and you know, it's like nine thirty at night, and it's still bright daylight, and they had him hitting at a giant bullseye that was probably like a like a dartboard that was thirty feet high, and the guys had to hit golf balls at this giant dartboard to. For, for charity money and stuff. And he's sitting there zipping, you know, these like low line three irons and, you know, playing like a typical Scott would. But then I realized that he's got this little twang in his voice. Every once in a while, it just sort of seeps out because he's been, you know, he went to Colorado State to play his golf. He lives in Colorado, married a woman who I believe is from Colorado, loves it out there. Um, as you talk to him more and more, it becomes really easy to root for him. He's a very, very uh, likable good guy, super approachable. He looks like somebody, if you're walking down the street, he should be selling insurance. I mean, he's just, <laughs> just this regular looking dude. Unlike Bryson DeChambeau, who looks basically like a semi-truck coming down the interstate at this point. Um, many headlines, as our colleague Eamon Lynch wrote. Interesting, when Bryson DeChambeau can make headlines 5,000 miles away from the tournament he's actually playing in. Um, some some little dust up. So Bryson, for those of you who, who may have been asleep or a little bit at the wheel at the end of last week, shoots 62 by driving, you know, 400 yard holes and basically just like ripping apart TPC Summerlin, you know, trying to drive greens on par fours, makes a bunch of eagles and shoots a fantastic score, spurring Matthew Fitzpatrick, who was playing at the BMW PGA Championship in England to basically call him out. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll read you the quote and then Shupa, I want you to give me some of your reaction when you first heard this. Um, making a bit of a mockery of the game was was basically what Matthew Fitzpatrick said. It's not a skill to hit a ball a long way, in my opinion. I could put on 40 pounds. I could go and see a biomechanist, and I could gain 40 yards. It's actually a fact. I could put another two, three inches on my driver. I could gain that. But the skill, in my opinion, is to hit the ball straight. That's the skill. He's just taking the skill out of it, in my opinion. I'm sure lots will disagree. It's just daft. Um when you heard that, what was your initial take? Well, I, you know, Matthew Fitzpatrick's game is is hit in the fairway. He's a, he's a very good iron player, and and uh, you know he's he's more of an old school style player. Doesn't you know he's, he's old, he doesn't hit it as far as some of these guys. He hits it plenty far, but um, yeah, he can't compete. He he can't compete in terms of distance. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I just think. I think Bryson is hitting the ball pretty straight. I think that's the amazing yeah. is is the greatest thing that he's been able to do is that he's hitting it far and straight. Maybe wasn't so straight in in the U.S. Open where they really shrunk the the fairways down, but um, you know, 
I think Bryson DeChambeau has done what a lot of guys should be trying to do and is trying to figure out a way to get the golf ball in the hole the fast, as fast as he can. And he's doing it within the rules as they're, as they're allowed right now. And so, yeah, he's, he's gone in, on this whole journey to, to gain distance, and, and it's really working. So, you know, he didn't win this tournament. He didn't make a mockery of the field at, at uh, TPC Summerlin. He had, a, he had a 62 the first day, but, you know, he, he just had a, like a backdoor top 10, um, really struggled in, uh, in Saturday's round. So he, he's, he's, won some, he's won a couple times this year, and he, he won by six and was the only guy to break par in the final round at the U.S. Open. But he's, mm-hmm. he's not making a mockery of the game. He's not, he's not uh, dominating yet in, in, in any sort of way. I think, he's, I think what he showed at the U.S. Open is when he, like most guys, if he drives it well and he putts well, he's, he's got a good chance of winning. Um, you know, he's still got a lot of work to do with his wedge game. He, there's there's plenty of area for him to get imp- to, for improvement. And uh, but to say that it, that what he, what Bryson's doing is it's not a skill, uh, I don't I don't agree with that at all. And it, it sounded a little bit like you know uh, sour grapes from from uh, Fitzpatrick. And and um, you know I, I I don't like seeing the game become it's a different game than what we grew up with Mm -hmm. seeing guys seeing him drive 380 yard par fours but um you know more power to him if you can do it yeah i mean because not a lot of guys can do it there have always been these guys who can hit it 400 yards long Mm -hmm. but usually they can only get one in the one in the grid in 10 tries you know yeah yeah bryson dechambeau is is still really really straight with his driver He's he's really straight, and obviously during that 62, he hit 11 of 14 fairways. And if you're going to have an average of 352 yards off the tee, which he did that day, and you hit 11 of 14 fairways, then what's your argument? You know, he's 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 hitting it farther, and he's hitting the fairway. If he was hitting two fairways, averaging 350 or 360, then I think Matthew Fitzpatrick's point has a little more validity to it. Um, so, a couple things. At winged foot. He wins. Obviously, he's the only player who's under par. Um, the golf course setup, when you've got rough that is that thick and is that tough, and the green, excuse me, and the fairways are that narrow, conventional wisdom, a lot of people would initially think, and, and this was what the idea was going into the tournament, the rough is super thick, the fairways are super narrow, so therefore you're going to have to be straight. Okay, well, that, that would make sense. But if everyone's going to miss some of the fairways, and, and everybody did, then would you rather be 50 yards further down when you miss or 50 yards further back when you miss? Well, obviously, you'd rather be further down. So DeChambeau actually drove it relatively straight as, you know, he was an average to a slightly above average in terms of like hitting the, the fairways that week. But he was just so much farther out there that he can hit shorter clubs from that nasty rough. And in, in certain places, it was really, really bad. Um so that to me was a combination of the golf course setup. There have been times when the setup is not matching what it sounds like people want, which is we want to reward accuracy off the tee. Well, making it so narrow that nobody hits every fairway pretty much nullifies that out. Um, I also, is in shoot, I'm, th- this will not come as a surprise to you in the least, I love when guys try and find an alternative way to be successful and they push all of their chips into the table, to use yet another Vegas analogy, um, <laughs> because he has altered pretty much everything about 
his physique. He has gone in with the equipment. He has gone in with the analytics and basically said, given the rules and, and what we're trying to do here, this philosophy will give me the best opportunity to be successful. He 100% believes it. 100% believes it. Now, if Fitzpatrick is saying and other people are saying that takes away from the skill, it's dulling out some of the parts of the game that are supposed to be meaningful, core strategy, um, wedge play, these other things, then that's their problem in some ways. You know, there is nothing that, you know, in that quote that, that I read to you. Um, Fitzpatrick is, is admitting I could do all of these things. I could see the biomechanics. I could add the weight. I could get the club head speed. Then what's stopping you? Go ahead. If, if you feel that he has got some advantage over you, that is not fair because he can do something within the rules that you can't do something with him. Like that, then you've got a problem. But by his own admission, he's saying, I could do all this. I just don't think that that's the way the game is supposed to be played. Well, yeah. Then, then if he beats you, you've got no, you, you can't bitch about it. You know what I mean? So I, it's almost like he's he's calling this out, but but ultimately, isn't really on him to decide that you either adapt to this or or knowingly choose not to. I, I didn't think it could work at, at a U.S. Open setup. I didn't think you could drive it crooked and hit two out of fourteen fairways and, and shoot sixty-five the way Matthew Wolf did. On Saturday, I didn't think that was possible, or that the way Bryson, you know, mm -hmm. that the, that driving it longer, and so, you know, what what will the USGA do? What are they going to do? They 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 can't like the the way things are trending, um, and they you know we're, we're waiting for this you know study to come out. I know they pushed it back because of COVID, yep. but yep. Uh, you know the clock is ticking because you know I think they need to do something. They need to come out with what their plan is, and then you know we'll hear what the equipment companies have to say. It's it's, it's not going to be. There's no real quick fix. It's going to well, take a while to get all everything. You know, some something to happen. But I, I hope that the, that we can uh, move forward soon. It seems like we're just in a we're they're just uh, in a four corners offense right now. So a couple things on that. Don't look for any changes in equipment for I'd say the next three to four years. At the earliest. Um, and the reason why I say that is that, as you noted, a lot of the distance um, research, while well, the USGA and the RNA put out a joint statement saying that distance is a problem, not just from a competition standpoint, but from an environmental footprint standpoint, from a resources standpoint, from lots of different things. They, they want to make golf's footprint and golf itself smaller. Okay. But COVID happens, and there are a lot of things that right now are on hold or that, that are being delayed and shelved for, for the obvious reasons. So we're not going to hear about, I think, a lot of things and a lot of different studies for at least another six to eight months. So that puts us, say, in the second quarter, maybe even the second half of 2021. There are certain protocols that are in place. Basically, it's called the Vancouver Protocol, and it's named that because that was where the agreement between the USGA and the RNA and the manufacturers, they all basically came to agreement that if they're going to make changes to the equipment rules, they have to give the manufacturers a certain amount of time in order to do some research in R&D, retool factories where it's necessary, buy and, and, and obtain different materials if that's what's necessary to, to make the new stuff to spec. I mean, that's that's fair. That's, they, they've got to change their business. So even if we get word, let's say the next September, 
you know, a, a little less than a year from now. Okay, we're going to ch- make this change to the golf ball. We're going to make some change to other facets of equipment, terrain and distance. It would then be, I would say minimally, a year and a half before those changes went into effect at the most elite level. I think you're probably looking at 23, 24 before the PGA Tour, the European Tour, etc., cetera, um, would have to implement whatever those changes are. And then recreational golfers would get even longer. They would grandfather, I would think, a lot of different things in. If it was a ball change, it'd be easy enough to make the old golf balls legal for play, but you're going to run out of them. Um, if you if you remember when the wedges were and the groove rule in 2010 was put into play, the pros on the PGA Tour who get their wedges basically for free and elite amateurs who people were trying to get into the U.S. Open so they're going through sectional qualifying, et cetera, they had to use conforming wedges starting in 2010. The wedges that had those big, sharp, nasty grooves that were so great back in 2008 and 2009, you can still play legally today. And you can play them up until right. 2024. So, you know, if you've been playing them all along, they're shot. But but you sort of see where I'm going with this. The other thing, Shu, take a look at where we're going for the next few U.S. Opens. Now, we just came out of winged foot. And you said that you didn't think that Bryson's game would really translate to what is, you know, one of the, the most tried and true U.S. Open venues. We're going to Torrey Pines next year. You don't think Bryson's game would translate to Torrey Pines? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, the country it's going to be a bomber. Is going to win that. He, it's absolutely going to be a bomber. No question about it. Then we go to the country club in Brookline, Mass, where you and I had quite a day one day. Um, that was that was a fun <laughs> one. Anytime you want to go back there. Then we go to LACC. Um, I don't know exactly how that golf course is going to play, but I would think you know distance would be rewarded there. Pinehurst in 2024 feels like the next one where you'd really want to make sure that your approach game and your wedges were dialed in and your putting was dialed in because that will be an unrelenting short game test. Um, but again, distance is good. That That's much more wide open track. Lots of places. Oakmont, Shinnecock Hills, back to Pebble in 27. My point is all of these venues, if you can do it at winged foot, of all the venues that I just listed there, shoot, is there any reason to think that you that Bryson's game couldn't, if nothing else changes, translate to to places like that? Yeah, I, I think you know, I've heard some people already poo poo this, but they're, the, the, they need to make the rough just just hay, just really nasty. But from the three fifty, from three twenty five to to three fifty, like there needs to cut. You know, if you can hit it in the fairway. You have a huge advantage, but if you if you decide to hit driver and bomb it into the rough, there it isn't such an advantage. It isn't it's so, quite uh, the advantage. Like, so so maybe- shoot, I've got I've, I'll let you in on a little secret. I uh, when I was at Wingfoot, I had a chance to talk to the four caddy, and uh, four caddy pulled me aside and said that there is chatter in Far Hills at this point. Nothing more than that, but just chatter. A little water cooler talk, even though they're not allowed to be yeah. at the water cooler and there's nobody in the office. <laughs> um, there's there's a little bit of a virtual water cooler chat about the idea of graduated rough, not necessarily from a width standpoint, but as you're describing from a length standpoint. So let's say that the rough is at a U.S. Open um, three inches deep at 285 yards, and it stays that way 
uniformly until you get to about, say, 295 to 300. Then it goes from, say, three inches up to four, four and a half inches. Then once you get to about 310, it goes up to, say, six inches. And it stays there. So that if you want to try and hit over stuff, the penalty for missing lengthwise gets exponentially tougher than if you miss, but you were trying to go short. What do you think of that? I, I think I really like that idea. I think, you know, make the guy think, do I want to hit a, do, do I want to just get a five wood in the fairway or, or, or if I, because otherwise if I hit the driver in the, you know, too, too far right, all I got, all I can do is hack out that there's, there's not going to be any 65s from, from the rough shot anymore from if if you're going if you're if you're hitting it 370 off the tee you're you're going to be making bogey you're you're not going to just be ha- putting it on the green and and getting away with a par you're that's you know you're going to have to work for that par versus just the, i think you know not made a mockery but it, it's just not what we come to expect um in a you know major championship especially the the US Open and uh i i think there's i think that i that idea would be worth trying out, especially at a place like Torrey Pines. The Sneak is a true crime podcast from For the Win in USA Today, and this season is on a surfing champion whose life took a violent, tragic turn. Within 30 seconds, they're both dead. The Sneak Murders at Whiskey Creek is out July 29th, wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, it uh, it'll be very interesting to see. The four caddy was very um, he he was he was pretty up about the idea, and we'll we'll sort of see if it happens. <laughs> I I think it's very interesting. Um, I I think it's a very interesting idea. It's something that could make some of the historically significant and shorter tracks that people are really concerned about much more challenging for the game's most elite players, yet not necessarily adversely affect or put undue strain on recreational golfers where I think you and I would both agree distance is not a problem at the local level. Um, the golf courses where I play, um, I've been fortunate, for example, to play a bunch this summer at TPC River Highlands. Now, that is a shorter golf course by you by PGA Tour standards than many of them. I mean, it's about 7,000 yards, give or take, but it's not like one of these like 7,600-yard behemoth kind of places. Um, nobody plays back there. I can tell you, like all summer, like those tees never get touched. Um, the other local courses in and around the Northeast that I, where I have a chance to play, nobody's playing from the backs. The distance is a problem. So this is actually a really interesting right. thing. And, and I think that we will hear about agronomy suggestions and changes much earlier than we would hear the USG and the RNA are going to roll back the ball. They're going to yeah. govern driver faces and slow the game down. I think that would be much further down the line, but agronomy and course setup suggestions could be much more prominent than um, than we're going to say. The other thing, and I want to ask your opinion about this one, and then we'll leave this Bryson and Fitzpatrick. So DeChambeau shoots 62 that day, and, and as you noted, didn't win the golf tournament. You know, he ends up getting a back toward top 10 or whatever it was, I think. There were four 63s that day to go along with his 62, five 64s, the tournament's won at 23 under. Um, what, what what should we really think now that we're separated from that 62 performance and we can see like, okay, he bombed it around. Okay, I got it. Is Everybody did, though, at Las Vegas, right? I mean, like thin air, it's warm, it's the desert, the ball flies, that golf course usually gives up some scores. 
even in the moment, was that a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to to a 62? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, these guys are shooting low numbers just about every week. And I think the course setups have been have maybe been geared a little bit more towards birdie fests. And just think of some of the courses that they played. Um, you know, even even Harbortown, just the, the difference in the time of year that they played there, um, they went much lower than they typically do. And, uh, but, but yeah, these guys are, are just shooting some great numbers these days. It's, it's, uh, 62 is not even that low anymore on the PGA tour. You, you pretty much expect to see somebody shoot 62 just about every week. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be something. So, so the PGA tour short trip this week, um, <laughs> sticking around and sticking around in Las Vegas. What do you, what do you think? Of, do, I, I like the idea. Obviously I like the idea that, that the CJ cup is being played and that the guys aren't going to Asia because I just don't think very many players would have made that trip. This, this though is going to be the first time since the U S open where we're going to see some of the big boys coming out to, to play. What are you excited about seeing at shadow Creek uh, aside from just the golf course itself? Cause is that, as we were saying before we started recording, you and I've never been there. Um, what, what are you excited about for this week? Well, yeah, we got a look at it last, you know, at the, um, the original match. The match, yep. So we saw Tiger and Phil play there. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's a strong field. I think that's, that's to me, going to be interesting. And, and uh, you know, it is just, it's a golf course that there's something, not quite, not quite, in, I'm not going to, I don't want to quite say it's like Pine Valley, but similar in a sense that there is a bit of a mystique behind it because it, it was, it's one of these courses that, it, it's not a private course the way Pine Valley is where you need a member to get you on, but um, you got to pay six, $700. It's like a ridiculous yeah. green fee. You basically have to be a high roller out there to get on it. And there's a been, you know, ridiculous number of stories of these huge gambling games going on there. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Charlie Hoffman who, who uh, went, played at UNLV and, and caddied out there when he was in college and said that, you know, he used to caddy for some of these guys and there were uh they were, he said, I probably playing for like a hundred thousand dollar matches with with uh, chips, colors of chips that he didn't even know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlie's now in that tax bracket, so he probably knows what those chip <laughs> colors are. You and I wouldn't know. Brooks Kepka's coming back for the first time since basically missing the cut back in August, and he didn't take part in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, what, if anything, are you hoping to see from Brooks Kepka? Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned that, probably is the, the the thing I'm most interested in because there's definitely I, I was at the Wyndham, uh, which I think is the last tournament he played in, and, yep. and it, it seemed like there was something not right. He, you know, he's very coy about what exactly is wrong with. Is it the knee? Is it you know? I'm not I'm not quite sure yeah. what. Yeah, what is what his current issue is, but um, it did not surprise me that he needed to take some time off. Uh, I thought it might even be longer. I'm glad to see that he's going to be back this week, and you know he's revving up to to make a run at the Masters, and he's shown that he can he can kind of you know come come out come right back from a, a time off and have success. He's done it before. Uh, you know he he missed the Masters the year that he won the the first time the U.S. Open. So um, you know I. I He's just a he. I, I find I really find him to be impressive the way he, he can compete and show up at the big tournaments. And uh, was a little surprised that he 
didn't have a better effort in the final round Sunday at the PGA Championship, but I think it just showed how much he, how gritty he is that he put himself at least into that position um, after really struggling for the the better part of you know seven eight months since since he's had the the, the stem cell treatment uh, last August. Um, you know he he got himself into a position, nearly won the WGC in Memphis, and then. Um, was right there coming into Sunday at the PGA. He, he found something and I, I wouldn't surprise me if he could do it again, but, but I, I, you know, right now, if I was in, in Vegas or if I was calling our buddy, Steve DeMeglio, who's out there, I would, I wouldn't put a bet on him uh, just right now, but, but I'd be keeping an eye on him this week to see how he, how he performs. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping just to, I think you're right. I mean, it's a 78 man field. I want to just see him play four rounds and not seem to be bothered. I'd love to see him come out of this. I, I could care less from the big picture standpoint. If he finishes, you know, T8 or T28 or T38, if he comes out on Sunday evening after he signs his card and says, yeah, you know what? The leg feels great. Got no problems. Didn't seem to be bothered by anything. We don't see any grimaces. And we hear about when his next event is going to be. That to me will be all the success that I need to see. What What I'm really hoping is that, it would be great if we could get a healthy Brooks Kepka at the Masters. And right. one, one more, um, one more storyline going into that tournament. Because as weird as it sounds to be saying these kind of things um, at this point, you know, we're we're only a month away from the Masters. With this week, we're playing the CJ Cup. Next week is Zozo, which is going to be played at Sherwood. Um, I think a lot of the big players are going to be playing. Obviously, this week, next week, they're going to take the Bermuda week off. I think that Bermuda is historically windy. Uh, it's a little bit of a trip. I, I think that you're, you're going to get a couple names that are going to go there, but but that's not going to be one where the big fish are going to be swimming. The Houston Open will get a, a decent feel because some people like to play the week before. And then, you know, starting November 9, as weird as, as, weird as this is going to feel and how great this is going to be, it's the Masters. So I think the next two weeks are really critical. If we don't, if we can get Brooks Kepka healthy and p- competing – and two weeks from now, thinking, yeah, you know what? Like his his golf looked a little bit rusty, but the leg is good. Then Brooks Kepka can be a part of the Masters. If we come, oh boy, you know, it's just really he was limping or he had to withdraw or something. Then Brooks Kepka at the Masters in a month has a really big question mark on it. So with as you noted, a great field: Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, John Rahm, Fowler, Garcia, Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood, Justin. Rahm. Like it's a, it's a really really nice field. And for, you know, mid-October to be having this, this is a gift. I mean, you know, this is one of those, usually we have to set the alarm clocks. We're watching Golf Channel, you know, at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning to watch the Asian coverage. We're getting little blips and blurbs of it. But now we get it, you know, nice in the U.S. It's a real treat to be able to have this. So um, we will look forward to seeing that. Shoop, you going to be playing any more golf later this week or are you going to be working for a living? I'm going to do a little both. But uh, yeah, definitely planning to get out, get out and keep working on the game. Got to do it. Got to, got to grind. There's no alternative. I got the golf bug. I, I really got. It. I feel That's like awesome. I, I got my, I got my driver game figured out right now. Oh wow! And uh, I gotta get the, I gotta get my putter going again. Well, yeah, you and everybody else out there who's listening, Shoop, I appreciate you giving us some time. Thanks for coming back on the Four Press, buddy. All right, anytime.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.